0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your AEW Double or Nothing Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and it is 1am on the East Coast, but we are here to break down everything that happened. At the most recent AEW pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, the second show of 2022, Vintage Chris Vanini is here alongside your boy, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, to break down every match, storyline, and development from the show, which lasted nearly five hours, and you can't tell already, yeah, I'm exhausted and am a little bit pissed about how long this show was. We're going to get into everything momentarily. It is an instant analysis. I'm going to give you a quick intro so we can get right into it. Which means I need to remind you that getting over wrestling podcast. Peace out. So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show and how much you love these Instant Analysis Podcasts which are by far the most listened to episodes that we produce. I appreciate you guys joining us usually right after the pay-per-view, first thing the next morning to listen to these shows. But please share the wealth. Tell your friends, tell them to subscribe. We would greatly appreciate it. We do read all five-star reviews on this podcast. We actually have a couple new ones in the books. We'll read those on Tuesday and Thursday, this forthcoming week. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Not only do we tweet live during TV shows and pay-per-views and provide news and thoughts all week long talking about professional wrestling. But we also allow you guys to contribute to the show uh, by sending in DMs, questions for the show, uh, posting in our polls for before and after pay-per-views, and joining us live on Twitter Spaces for live pre-shows ahead of every major pay-per-view for WWE and AEW. Of course, we did one of those tonight before Double or Nothing. It would not be, folks, an instant analysis episode of Getting Over if the Silver King did not sit back, crack open, and hold. That's how we do it here on these special episodes, and foam went all over my sound card, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, Today, I have a creamy peanut butter ale from O'Fallon Brewing, which is in Missouri. I believe Maryland Heights, Missouri. I will try that in a moment. Vintage Chris Panini is with us. He is not drinking tonight. He is still, unfortunately, uh, battling COVID-19, so he is off alcohol right now, as he should be. The Silver King's battling a bad back. I'm not comparing the two. My point is we're both washed. It's it's 1 a.m. Eastern, midnight central for him. Uh, we're ex- exhausted. But Chris, welcome to the show. Nevertheless,
1: good to be here. I've had a cough for the last couple of days. I'll mute myself if that comes up. Uh, I'm, I'm not obviously not drinking alcohol tonight. Uh, I'm drinking what I have been drinking for about three straight days, which is yellow Gatorade. So shout out to your Florida Gators for developing I'm sorry.
0: Gatorade. I'm sorry. Wait,
1: yellow Gatorade lemon lime i think it's called okay. i don't know we all every who 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 calls gatorade by not the color well, yeah,
0: i mean yellow, yellow yellow gatorade, gatorade yellow gatorade yellow liquid in a gatorade bottle historically is your... it
1: looks like tea it, it,
0: no it doesn't it's lemon lime it's greenish
1: yeah i'm saying it looks like it but it's 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 always been my go to ever since <laughs> i've college. never heard
0: someone say yellow gatorade i mean what do you what do you call story.
1: you call it lemon, lemon lime? lime
0: or green i don't know well, it's not green; it's
1: yellow. It's straight yellow. So, ah. shout either way. Shout out to your to your Florida Gators there for developing this fine beverage. I, uh, far it's, superior, uh, it's been helpful.
0: far far superior to Powerade. It needs to be known: Gatorade is the creme de la creme of uh, sports drinks. So, do not forget that. And yes, a shout out, of course, as always, as often as we can, at least, to the Florida Gators from the University of Florida. Anyway, Chris, uh, we're not here to talk college sports or athletic drinks or even beer, even though, by the way, I took a sip. This is delicious. Shout out to you, O'Fallon. This is awesome. We are here to talk AEW, double or nothing, and we're going to provide you with instant analysis of every single match on this card. Chris, we normally open this up by giving like an overview of what we thought about the show and then getting into it. I kind of don't want to do that tonight because number one, it takes a while. But number two, I feel like my thoughts on the show are better left for the end as a summation, because this is an example of a pay-per-view and, we, and we've and we said the opposite about other shows. For example, the last WWE pay-per-view, WrestleMania Backlash, it was better than the sum of its parts, I think is what we said. This is exactly the sum of its parts. Like When I look at this show and, and I think back about it, it's going to be a show that was largely mediocre that had a couple really bright spots that we're going to hit as we go. I'm curious if you feel the same way. If so, we can kind of get right into it.
1: Yeah, the show was largely honestly not great, but it had some really fun moments and it didn't need to be this long.
0: But also, yeah, that's a great point. So the main card went four hours and 40 minutes. And if you include from the start of the buy-in match through it, it went five full hours. That is a WrestleMania card like a WrestleMania uh what was it 35 in New York that card yeah. that was just never ending I think that was 5 or 6 hours or maybe even At 7 least, yeah. this felt this felt like it was never ending and you made a comment that was funny to me via text we don't usually talk via text during shows you're like it felt like MJF Wardlow which was the opening match started last week and it did i forgot that match was tonight by the time i got to the main event
1: yeah, look, I mean, having COVID, days are lasting incredibly long for me right now, but literally halfway through the show when they did a recap of what had happened and they showed MJF Wardlock, I was like, oh yeah, that was tonight. Totally, and- for- totally forgot about
0: that. <laughs> and we'll talk about uh, why the show was long, why Tony Khan added extra matches. We'll get into that as we talk about the main event. But before we do that, we start every instant analysis episode, of course, by cracking a beer. That's already done. Check mark. On that, but we go over our pre-show grades to let you guys know what our expectation level was going into the pay-per-view and the listeners, the getting overheads, our followers on Twitter at Getting Overcast. They got a vote as well in our uh, ultimate preview, which you can listen to. It's still there if you want. But of course, if you're listening to the incident analysis, you're probably not going to do that. Uh, Chris voted uh, B plus is what his ex- expectation was. I was right there with him. B plus. It was not a strong enough card. From a storyline perspective, for me to have an A expectation, and you, the listeners, guess what? You agreed because twenty-three percent of you said A, sixty-three percent said B, nine percent C, and and funny enough, Chris, five percent D to F. That's not our normal like one to two to three percent that we throw out. Hmm. Right? That's that's five percent said D to F, and while I don't think certainly it was a D to F card, those people I guess have a little bit more you know, that they can point to then maybe I expected going into the show. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm i not going to I'm not going to
1: take seriously any D to F of course thoughts of going in. Not. Now, the build was not good and you knew going in it was going to be a very long card. We talked about that. Um, yeah, overall, those numbers sound like about a BB plus, which is which is where, where you and I were at. And also, we made those picks at the time when it was only an 11-match card. We not did. a 13-match card.
0: And you know what? If they added those two matches when we did it, I would have been a B instead of a B plus.
1: I would have probably been around there, too, yeah. Uh,
0: but this is definitely B+. 23A, 63B, that's a B plus, No question about it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so let's get into the card now. For anyone who might be a first-time listener, uh, has never heard an Instant Analysis podcast from us before, Unlike our Ultimate Preview, where we work from the bottom of the card all the way to the top, we do the opposite. We cover the matches based on importance level, or at least perceived importance level, going into the pay-per-view. So it's a little bit out of order, but I do keep it in order regarding things that happened and um, want, like if there's a cause and effect type of situation, I make sure that's done in order as well. So with that said, Chris, let us get to the main event of the evening, which counter To my expectation going in, I thought MJF and Wardlow, I didn't think it would be the last match, but I thought it was the match I was looking forward to most that would be remembered the most coming out of the show. Instead, I think it fairly was the main event, which the AEW World Championship was on the line. Hangman Adam Page, the champion, defending against CM Punk. We will break down the match, provide our opinions. Offer grades at the end. We're going to do that throughout this entire show. So, this match was extremely aggressive at the start. Both guys really laid it in hard with dual chants ringing out from the crowd. There were mixed reactions to both guys as they hit big moves. Plenty of booze both ways, actually. Page threw Punk into the barricade and hit a big rolling elbow. He egged on the crowd instead of going for a fall. Punk knocked Page off the ring apron into the barricade when he first tried a buckshot lariat. Punk the Nate, a KO-style pop-up powerbomb into the apron, plus a flying lariat inside for a near fall. Punk came back with a superplex. Punk hit all his signatures and a springboard lariat, but Hangman countered a sharpshooter and GTS before hitting his moonsault outside. He immediately sold the left knee when he did that. Punk countered a second buckshot lariat into the sharpshooter. Punk tried the buckshot lariat himself, but he collapsed on the landing, which was not planned. Page picked him up for the GTS. Punk escaped. Punk tried and collapsed again with another Buckshot Lariat attempt. And then when he landed and collapsed, he stood up and hit a regular Lariat for a two count. Punk called for GTS. They counted each other a bunch of times. Hangman caught Punk for a last ride powerbomb, then rolled through for a Deadeye and a 2.99. That easily could have been a three because it was a super late kick out from Punk. And his uh, hand definitely hit the canvas, the referee. Um, The referee then helped pull up Punk's tights, which I guess got pulled around his ass a little bit. (laughs) Hangman called for the GTS. Punk escaped with a roundhouse kick. Then Page caught him and hit the GTS for a 2.8. And he did it with the injured left knee that he was selling and commentary called that out, which I thought was really good. Hangman clotheslined Punk over the ropes and immediately threw him over the ringside table. He grabbed the world title and taunted him. The referee took it away and puts it smack dab on the ring apron, just right there. AW may not do disqualifications frequently. But they have the worst referees in the world when it comes to kayfabe. In in kayfabe, they make so many mistakes and they are so easily distracted. Truly terrible if you actually think about it. Anyway, back to the match. Uh, Punk countered Buckshot Lariat into GTS, but swung Hangman's legs into the referee, which knocked him out. Hangman escaped, but as I said, the referee was out. He grabbed the title, threatened to use it on Punk, but he hesitated. He dropped it and went for the Buckshot Lariat instead to win clean. Punk countered that into the GTS to win the AEW World Championship in 26 minutes, and then he cried a little bit while he was celebrating. So this was a damn good match with damn good storytelling, I thought. Punk held Paige back in terms of like work rate. There were multiple botches, as I pointed out, but the booking is exactly what we theorized on the podcast. I said there were going to be two acceptable finishes to this match, Chris. I was very specific and clear. One was Hangman cheating to retain the title. The other was Punk winning clean. And what AEW did here is they teased one and delivered the other. It was basically the WrestleMania 8 finish between Roddy Piper and Bret Hart, which I'm sure Punk wanted to do on purpose because he loves Bret Hart and really respects Roddy Piper. So, you know, they delivered a finish here that was, I would say, completely acceptable. But I do believe the crowd got taken out of it a little bit because of how many kind of botches and mistakes there were in the lead up to it. Um, If not for the miscues I mentioned, I probably could have gone low A plus for this match because the storytelling was fantastic. And when you look at this card as a whole, what did we talk about? We talked about going in. There were not a lot of good storylines, not a lot of good build for a lot of matches. This one included. The build for this was not great but they delivered on the story in the match. I'm going to settle at 4.25 stars and an A. It was definitely the match of the night. If you want an extra quarter star, I'll give it to you for 4.5. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. It was an A match, a worthy main event, and a great capper to what was otherwise a back and forth pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, very very fun match. One, I wasn't sure what to expect. We hadn't seen Punk on this level in quite some time, but he, you know, yeah, he can't do all the moves the same way, but he can still tell the story in in a good way. And and this is how you can tell a good story within a match, even if you don't have a good story around the larger story. And that came down to the crowd. There, There were moments where the crowd booed both of them. There were moments where the crowd cheered both of them. They did the dueling chants. And that kind of, kind of illustrated the story, which was neither of these guys was quite a heel. But as this match played out, Hangman acted far more heelish than Punk did. And I was really into heel Hangman there. I was like, yes, this is what we've been kind of seeing from him. Mm-hmm. But they haven't pulled the trigger yet. And so when he's got the title there and he get hit Punk and he's waiting and he's waiting, I was I was like, I'm all in on heel Hangman here. Just blast him. Now he may lose because maybe he doesn't win because but I want to see him blast him. I want to see him fully go. And he doesn't. So, you know, where that goes in the end, is he going to regret that? I I don't know where Hangman goes from there, but they told a great story throughout the match and the crowd stayed into it uh, largely because of that. Um, Aside aside from the the botches, well, among the botches, obviously the Buckshot Lariat punk struggled twice. He also, he did one a couple weeks back, but he he like almost stumbled on that one too. Honestly, it shows how difficult of a move it is to do. Hangman makes it look so easy. It is not. And I think that actually kind of helped that in a way that not anybody can just do his finishing move. But Punk also did the he did the sharpshooter, but he did the rocks version of the sharpshooter, which is when you put the whole arm over the feet and it's not exactly the right way to do it. Uh, There was an epidemic of bad sharpshooters in this. I was going to say there were
0: three sharpshooters slash Scorpion Deathlocks on this show. None of them were executed properly. They were not
1: great. They were not great. Appreciate, it was stunning. Uh, un- understand the effort. But yeah, it was it was very notable uh, that nobody could get it right. So it is what it is. Um, I thought the production of this match was solid. The camera angles were good. They caught everything. Didn't miss anything. But I would have liked some more replays. Just especially if Punk collapses on a Buckshot lyric and you're leaning into that while telling the story, show it to me again. There were very few replays in this match. I would have liked to have more. Um, And also CM Punk, great kickouts. It was the one that was maybe too late, but he had some really good kickouts in this match.
0: He absolutely did. Um, I have two other topics I wanted to discuss regarding this title change. One we mentioned on the Ultimate Preview. I'll save that. Um, I want to talk about something else, though, which is... So going into double or nothing, it was known that the main event would not begin until the NBA playoff game seven was over. To me, that alone gave away the match finish because there's really not a reason to do that if you're going to have a title retention or if you're not going to have a big moment where even if Paige was going to retain the title, maybe someone debuts at the end of that or something. As it turned out, the extra matches they added to the show were actually complete waste of time because the game ended like 45 minutes before the main event began. And then on the pay-per-view tonight, once the main event actually ended, I'm sorry, once the game actually ended, Tony Schiavone, like five different times, kept reiterating. He's like, we have the most people ever watching Double or Nothing. You guys should tune in. And I kept thinking to myself, this is a pay-per-view. <laughs> no one can hear you other than the people who have already purchased the pay-per-view. Yeah. So what you want people to call their friends and say, hey, you should go buy Double or Nothing. I mean, maybe that's what he wanted, but it felt even more telegraphed to me. Like, hey, you need to tune in or at least not turn this off, even though it's late and it's going long because there's going to be a title change. Now, obviously, they didn't say that directly, but the way they kept hammering it home on commentary And I tweeted this before the match even began. It told me, like, you know, even though I was like, I don't know, 80% sure they were going to change the title here. This made it 99% before the bell began. I'm wondering if you had the same thoughts.
1: Uh, Not exactly that Punk necessarily would win because of it. But just in general, that telling telling your fans ahead of time that you're going to delay the pay-per-view and make it longer because of something else. Like the people in the crowd, the people who are paying to watch, like that's your audience. Correct. Like, And you're, te- you're, you're telling them, nah, like I want to get some, uh, I want to essentially get the casuals, so, you know, the whole argument that WWE makes. Don't don't change what you're doing because of the competition that devalues us oh. as viewers. Also, it's, who, it's a pay-per-view. Pay it's watch, not... Yeah, sorry. The ones who paid to yeah, the ones who paid to watch the whole thing, like the ones who are paying to watch, are the ones who are gonna. No one's gonna pay fifty bucks at the end of a basketball game to to jump on just the main event match. Like I, I seriously doubt the numbers were were, were notable. So I don't think Tony kind of going out and saying, "Hey, we may like delay the show." That told you that a lot of the shit going on in the show didn't matter because Absolutely. it was only
0: there. It was only there to fill time during the basketball game. And again, they ended up not needing it. Now, I know they built it in in case it went to overtime or whatever, but they didn't need it. So I, I got there. They gave us. A, and look, we, we were asked a question during our pre-show live on Twitter spaces. Um, do you like this card enough where you feel like you're going to get your money's worth for $50? Yes. And we did get our money's worth because it was an AEW pay-per-view and they gave us a lot of really good wrestling. You know, maybe it wasn't up to our standards or, or they didn't book it exactly the way I wanted. But, you know, they put all their as many stars as they possibly could on the card and delivered a long, you know, relatively quality pay-per-view. But would I have preferred a tight 10 match card um, that had better storyline builds and it was more focused and we got some better winners? I would have. Yes. And I just felt like, you know, with this entire we're going to delay the main event if necessary. It was basically saying something's going to happen that you need to watch it. But beyond that, saying on the broadcast, hey, don't leave. Stay tuned. We know it's late. Like it just really telegraphed it for me. And again, I don't know who they were talking to. These people, you already have their money if they're watching at this point. People are in movie theaters, you know, that paid uh, tickets prices to go to movie theaters to see this show. So like, who are you you talking to? Certainly they're not airing this like in closed captioning during the NBA game saying, hey, or during the post game, hey, we know the the game's over. Tune in. That's the promotion you do on social media, right? Uh, That's the promotion you do before the show. Fair enough to say, hey, we'll start the match after game seven is over. We'll make sure you can see the entire thing. But if you're buying the AEW pay-per-view, you've already bought it Because, you know, you can go see the replay. Right. So if you want to watch the main event and then watch the rest of the show, you can do that if you want. So that whole thing was strange. The only other thing I really wanted to discuss here was going back uh, to the comments I made on the Ultimate Preview about why I was so sure they were going to change the title here. And I just want to reiterate for anyone who may have missed that show, you know, Punk being the AEW champion, it certainly makes sense. He's deserving of it. He's a big name, all those things. But I am thoroughly convinced that this move was made not just to put the title on someone who otherwise should have it, but to specifically try to regain some of the momentum and pop they got when they initially signed CM Punk. Because from that moment to now, and really in the history of AEW for the most part, you know, they did get a little bit of a lift with the Brian Danielson and Adam Cole in the same night on pay-per-view but CM Punk actually moved the needle and it his presence alone increased AEW's ratings you know uh, to a level that they have not yet come back from they have not fallen back from it added you know like 150,000 200,000 viewers and those have dissipated over recent time, largely due to the NBA playoffs and competition, but also because Hangman Page's champion is not as attractive a champion to the uh, general audience, the casual fans, as Chris Jericho and the former Dean Ambrose, John Moxley. Of course, Kenny had the title for a really long time, but nevertheless, those those two guys were very much in the forefront for a long period. So putting the championship on CM Punk, more so than being like a booking decision, to me, is almost purely a business decision. I'm very interested to see what happens to the ratings on Wednesday night. If there is an immediate bump, I'm guessing there's going to be, not just because of no NBA competition, but specifically because of CM Punk. I wouldn't be surprised if Dynamite on Wednesday is their first million viewer show since whenever the last one was, which seems to be a long time ago at this point. So I just wanted to reiterate that. I think it's a business move. The question is, how long will if there is a pop Wednesday if there is a bump? How long will it sustain? That really remains to be seen. It probably depends who Punk defends the title against.
1: Yeah, and and look, putting the title on somebody for business decisions—that is the history of pro wrestling. Like that, absolutely, that's, how, that, that's 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 literally how it always works. That that's literally why you put a title on somebody. So um, yeah, I I'm curious what happens next. The the way it kind of ended. Makes me think they're going to do a rematch at some point, uh, because Hangman can say I had you, and then I, I blew it, and, and and that type of deal, or maybe this leads him down a road. I I don't know, but it really needed to be freshened up. CM Punk is a great way to freshen that up.
0: Um, it did. You know it did now that. now we now we can move forward. Do you understand though? Like, am, am I being clear at the differentiation I'm making? In, in terms of what? In terms of. It's it's not just so much a regular business decision like bringing back Brock Lesnar or putting the title on Roman Reigns. AEW has intrinsic, uh, you know, information—not intrinsic information. AEW has data, straight up, blatant, yeah. cold data that shows yeah. specifically what CM Punk did for them, how that's dissipated over time, and this is really the one card they have left to get a second bump, specifically from CM Punk. Pine, sure. uh, a pun or rhyme, I should say, it's late, folks. I'm telling you, it's it's freaking late and I'm in pain here from the back. Rhyme not intended is what I meant to say, not pun. But am I being clear about that? Like, I, I hope everyone understands. Of yeah. course, every champion is a business decision. I'm saying this one in particular for these reasons at this time with the Warner deal um, with, with you know, pe- new people taking over from Discovery, them wanting to put their best foot forward ratings wise. Does it make mm-hmm. sense why they are specifically doing this at this particular time with this particular person?
1: Yeah, of course. Exactly. Yeah, the numbers will rebound a little bit without the NBA. But look, Punk, Punk, his return to wrestling was the biggest pull anybody could possibly do. There is nothing bigger than CM Punk coming back, bigger than Brock Lesnar coming back or Cena or Undertaker, because those have been done a million times. Punk was the biggest one that was left in pro wrestling, and they did it. So it makes perfect sense to try to go back to that at this specific time post- Generally, post having to compete with the NBA and while the whole Warner media sale stuff is going through and, you need, and you're figuring out the future. Yeah, it makes
0: total sense. And that's I just want to make thing. sure I just wanted to make sure I was being clear about it. That's all. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It, 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 it's not a bad thing that it, it makes sense to do that. It does make sense to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying it's it's specifically why now, why him and, and why at this show? All right. Yeah. Let's move on to what going into the um, pay-per-view I thought would be the co-main event. Instead, it actually opened the show. MJF versus Wardlow. Now, we spoke already about MJF's um, show, no show decision on our live pre-show on Twitter spaces. Chris, we spent a lot of time on it. I I don't know that doing it again now, you know, does it justice the whole conversation, but let me simply put it this way before we get to the match, okay? For anyone who's not aware or didn't hear and and they they really want to hear our thoughts on it, uh, MJF no showed a meet and greet that people paid to see him at, paid like $100 or so. Uh, AEW made refunds and restitutions and stuff like that. But he nevertheless didn't go. There were multiple reports, I believe, on Saturday night that a red-eye flight was booked from Las Vegas to Newark, New Jersey for MJF. That that They didn't say he was going to get on the flight, but they said it was booked for him. There was a ticket for him. And there were questions about whether he would leave town or actually show up at Double or Nothing, presumably over continued contract disputes, maybe even creative disputes, or maybe other things that we don't know about with Tony Khan and AEW. Uh, so there are questions all day. Uh, Dave Meltzer reported shortly before the show, probably two hours before, that MJF was not at the arena. And what ended up happening was this match opened the show. MJF did show up. And I do have Uh, A tweet that came in uh, just now from Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful that says, I showed up last minute. Uh, So MJF said this to him. I showed up last minute. I left after the match. I have a lot to think about. I'm going dark on social media. So that's where that stands. We can address MJF and his situation uh, in terms of going forward after we break down the match. But Chris, going into it, I think you and I were kind of of the same wavelength. If it was a shoot and he didn't show up, it would be really bad, not just for AEW, but for MJF personally long term, because even if his goal is to go to WWE, Vince McMahon would not have looked kindly upon doing something like that. It is his cardinal sin, especially before a major show, let alone a Raw like Sasha Banks and Naomi did going there and then and then leaving. Um, But if it was a work, it would perhaps be even worse because it legitimately screwed over fans and it was completely unnecessary for the storyline or it would have been if it was a work. It seems like it's a shoot. Everyone's saying it's real. Um, and those were my kind of opinions going into the pay-per-view. You and I both assumed that he would be there and he would be in the match.
1: Yeah, and look, we we talked about this a lot because it was the biggest story leading into the show. Like, yeah. like it, was the, it was the only thing everybody was talking about, whether or not he was going to show up. And so it was rightful to talk about as much as we did. And as I said at the time, it, I think at the at the moment... Uh, it was taking away from the story. There was so much talk about MJF in this instead of the match with Wardlow and Wardlow finally getting his moment. So,
0: um, yeah, no, it was bad news all around. Coming out of Double or Nothing, the truth is, MJF is a bigger story than Wardlow. It should not have been that way.
1: Yes, correct. Yep, exactly.
0: So let's get to the match. So this opened Double or Nothing, which was a surprise to me, probably a surprise to many. Um, MJF's entrance music played and there was a long delay before he came out, which played into the entire thing. Uh, he eventually came out in a Ric Flair inspired robe, fans chanted asshole, and then he pretended to fly. Like he was in a plane in the ring. It was the old Eugene celebration from WWF. I don't know how many people caught that. Um, but Wardlow then got the full Goldberg treatment. Uh, he was in handcuffs. He did look like an absolute badass walking to the Mm -hmm. ring that way. MJF dipped out of the ring at the bell. Then he bit the top of Wardlow's head and poked him in the eyes. MJF countered a powerbomb uh, into a hurricanrana, then played dead and pulled out the diamond ring, but he got caught by the referee. MJF tried for a truce. Wardlow shook his hand, but immediately hit a powerbomb. He hit four more and let the referee count to two before releasing. Uh, The grand total was 11 or 12, and he got the win in seven minutes, making him free to sign an AEW contract. The fans chanted for Wardlow as MJF got stretchered out. Tony Schiavone then announced officially that Wardlow was all elite. Uh, For the match, I went two stars and a C-. minus. It was an absolute squash. It got the job done for Wardlow, I guess. MJF was eviscerated. Given the build to this match, the anticipation, everything, I wanted a match. I wanted a moment. Um, Even if it was only legitimately competitive for like a couple minutes, that would have been better than what was basically a straight up chicken shit, running away squash match. It was almost like there was no crescendo and no climax. There was no climactic moment at the end. He just hit 11 power bombs or 12, whatever it was. That would have been better for Wardlow. So because of that, uh, this was very disappointing for me. Now, we don't know whether the booking changed. Uh, They were going to do a match and because MJF, you know, pulled this shit or whatever happened. Tony's like, hey, you know what, man, just come. We'll do a seven minute match. We'll squash you and you can go. Like, I don't exactly know what the prior plan was and then what was executed. But if this was the plan the entire time, it was the wrong plan. You know, I I know that they want Wardlow to look really strong. He would have looked stronger actually facing some adversity with MJF than just getting him in the ring and squashing him. And MJF, a guy who, you know, he's lost a lot of feuds, but in at the at the end, he's also won a lot of matches along the way and he barely gets into the ring. For him to not be more competitive here again, if this was the original plan, that's unfortunate. And if that's part of the reason he, you know, balked at doing this or almost left because he didn't like the creative in this match, well, guess what? He was right because the creative in this match was not very good.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. We I don't know what the plans were or not, but this match was essentially the definition of a burial. I mean, if you if you it
0: was yeah. take
1: things all things considered. uh, not getting much offensive, anything made to look like a complete chump and you're gone. Like, like there were a couple spots, like when he puts on the ring and everybody catches him doing that, like that was kind of funny. He had a little bit of the, you know, the, the MJF magic in there, but other than that, it was nothing like this was supposed to be Wardlow's big moment. Instead, he just looked like generic monster. It's the same thing we say all the time with WWE's problem with squash matches is that it doesn't make anybody look better. You look better if you have a competitive match against a formidable opponent and you beat them. That's how this always works. Squash matches generally don't work these days because of that reason. You're going to squash MJF. The only thing we're going to be talking about, given everything else going on, is that, shit, what's going on with MJF? Like, like If they had come in and put together... 10 to 15 competitive match, back and forth. You know, great stuff. Wardlow wins. We're talking a lot more about Wardlow than we're talking about MJF. The 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 way that match played out only added more to the intrigue and debate around MJF, and that's a real shame because Wardlow deserved a bigger moment here than he got. The the crowd was into it. You know, he won. MJF still, you know, did the business and everything. But given everything he went through given the cage match with Sean Spears was a hell of a lot more competitive and entertaining than this. Uh, I think this story really deserved a better finish. And it's a real shame for pretty much everybody involved that it played out this way.
0: By the way, did you notice how poor of a job? Um, I think it was Doc Samson, but a trainer, EMT, whoever it was. <laughs> so MJF gets stretchered out of the ring after the match. First of all, they throw the guy onto the board, right? You're supposed to, you <laughs> know, brace the neck and ensure that there's no like spinal cord movement, you know, in case someone's like hurt or, or you know, possibly dealing with par- uh, being paralyzed or whatever the case. Um, Sorry, I'm not a doctor. But first of all, they throw him on the board like haphazardly. His neck is hanging off the edge of the pad. So it's not even straight. And then the guy puts the oxygen over his nose and eyes instead of his nose and mouth. And I'm sitting here like, you know, a little bit of realism would be nice. Like you get the guy on the thing, you strap him to the board, you make sure everything you put his hands inside and then you wheel him out. They got him out of there as fast as they possibly could. And maybe that was on purpose. But I mean, the, the oxygen thing, I saw that and I just I was howling laughing and they never yeah. moved it. No one fixed it. It was there the entire time. Yeah.
1: And so when they stretch them out, you're like, all right, so so we're we're done with this for a bit here. We're not going to get a resolution probably on this MJF thing for a bit of time now. And now he's just going to be out of the picture. And that comment to
0: Sean Ross would further seem to confirm that. So, all right. Uh, One other thing before we move on. Uh, Something I've loved about AEW from the beginning is they never released an all elite graphic when Wardlow initially signed. I mentioned this like a couple months ago. Uh, mm. And they held it all the way until the end of the match when Wardlow officially signed with AEW and they put the graphic on the screen. The crowd popped. I popped in the moment. I just love like that's such a little detail, but it was so super important to like the story of Wardlow and AEW. And it really like he did, he he got huge pops in the whole match. Like I said, there wasn't a climactic moment. But to get that before going into the backstage area, I thought was a really nice touch. Yeah.
1: And and yeah, that was great. I didn't know that. That's really cool that that they yeah. did that.
0: So, um, what, ha- so I, what happened yeah. is obviously he debuted alongside MJF. He was signed to MJF, mm-hmm. whatever. When he first debuted, AEW posted on Twitter a video package of Wardlow. That was it. It's like Wardlow is in AEW. They never mm-hmm. actually did the graphics. So now they followed up with
1: it. Yeah. And look, this, uh, this, uh, unless Tony Khan says something during this press conference that's still going on, there's not really much more to say about MJF at this point. Um no, so I, other other. I mean, I, I think he can be and should be and will be one of the biggest things in pro wrestling. And we talked last week or so about why WWE would really want him and, and how he could be a real face of the company guy. But if you're no showing meet and greets, if you're changing booking potentially because you don't want to show up at a show, that's the kind of thing that Vince McMahon is not going to want to see either. So the, the this last weekend, I think, really throws a wrench into what all the possibilities could be. I have no idea what happens. I have no idea what happens, next If he gets released at some point or he sits at home for two years, I don't think anybody knows at this point what's going to happen.
0: I mean, yeah, there's just so many unknown variables. I mean, you have Cody who is there, is getting pushed really hard, who has kind of helped mentor MJF like recently over the last like three to five years. He can vouch for him. You know, uh, there's other people in the company who can vouch for him. Vince sees money and talent and the guy did come back ultimately to do the job, which you know, is commendable, even if there's major issues. So it's just so tough to say what's going to happen. I don't think Tony Khan is letting this guy out before the end of his contract, nor do I think he should. But because it's AEW, theoretically, MJF could work anywhere else he wants, probably with the exception of WWE, as long as he gets AEW's permission or it doesn't conflict from a time standpoint. So who knows what this guy can do? Um, you know, it seems like it's a situation where he will not be on television probably for a month at least. And then we'll have to see if he comes back or what the reports are and what happens. But it's a very strange story. You know, it, it, it's tough to cover it on this podcast because the news actually happened between our last show and this show. It got resolved by the fact that MJF did show up and work. Mm-hmm. You know, everything happened b- between our episodes. So, uh, you know, we'll yeah. we'll revisit this on Thursday's next AEW show. And um, we'll just go from there. That's all we'll do. So let's let's move on to the rest of Double or Nothing. We have the Women's Championship Thunder Rosa against Serena Deeb. Rosa, her gear looked awesome, I thought. Uh, The first five minutes were really strong technical wrestling. Rosa then went on a run and got a near fall on a Northern Light suplex. Deeb came back with an octopus stretch, then a cool flipping stunner out of the corner for a near fall. Rosa countered Deeb into, uh, sorry, she countered Detox into a Russian leg sweep and crossface. Then she had a great double stomp into Deep while she was bent over. Deep came back with a figure four. They slapped the shit out of each other and then rolled out of the ring. Deep caught Rosa with a dragon screw and hit detox, but it was a really sloppy cover and Rosa got her foot on the ropes. Deep came back with a serenity lock, a powerbomb, and a clover leaf that she couldn't bridge, so Rosa escaped. Rosa then hit a superplex that she floated into with a thunder driver for the 1-2-3 to retain the championship in 17 minutes. This was a damn good match. I will say it actually did not live up to my very high expectations. Rosa absolutely had to win, and she did. So the booking was spot on here. Deeb was a great challenger in this spot, a great first challenger for her. There's not really much else to say. I went four stars in an A-. I saw some people were really loving this. I don't know how you could really love it. I mean, it was a good wrestling match. Not more, I guarantee you know who will probably rate this higher than any w w e women's match this year, and it just wasn't It deserves credit for being good. um, I think it stood out amongst a lot of matches on the show that were not good, especially the two other women's matches, uh, but it was for me nothing more than an a minus at four stars,
1: yeah, honestly, I didn't really put any notes down for this match other than hey, it was wrestled well, and they did some really creative spots that you don't typically see. It was nice to see Thunder Rosa in there with somebody who can fully go with her. So you could really see Thunder Rosa, Thunder Rosa fully unleashed and just mm-hmm. simply what she can do from a wrestling standpoint. That was really important. Uh, this was much, much needed for Thunder Rosa to get back after what's been a very lackluster title reign through no fault of her own, other, simply because she's gotten zero story time, uh, zero uh, TV time for stories. So, very good step forward. Glad Serena Deep got to show what she can do. Good match. I was the same four stars, a minus. But that's about it. There wasn't much to it other than that. And and, uh,
0: so we move on. Let's keep rolling. Tag Team Championship Jurassic Express against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs and Swerve in my glory. They used the far, far inferior triple threat rules with only two legal men at a time, which was a huge letdown. I do not know why AEW does this Anyway. Lee helped Swerve with a moonsault off his barrel chest outside. Hobbs took Swerve off the top rope with an avalanche toss belly belly-to-belly suplex. Hobbs ran into Lee, who tagged himself in for a beefy triple threat with Luchasaurus. The challengers teamed up for a double choke slam on the dino. Then Lee belly-to-bellied Hobbs over the top rope and hit a huge tope con Hero, which was easily the spot of the match. Luchasaurus botched a lifting move with Lee due to basically his size. He couldn't lift him. Hobbs then did a great double-flying blockbuster onto the big guys, and for a moment, just a moment, there was a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. Uh, Christian Cage helped stop cheating, only for Hobbs to throw him into the steel steps. Jungle Boy attacked Hobbs, and Starks caught JB coming back with a spear for a great false finish. Starks then hit Rochambeau for a broken fall, Swerve tagged in. Luchasaurus accidentally booted Jungle Boy. Lee pounced Luchasaurus. And then they combined for the spirit bomb, swerve, stomp, you know, combination move in a false finish that was broken by Hobbs. Uh, Starks took out Lee with a championship title. Swerve put Hobbs into the post. Starks went to use the title again when Christian stopped him for a second time. Swerve rolled up Jungle Boy for a 2.8. The champions finally caught Swerve with Thoracic Express to retain the titles in 18 minutes. There was a nice reaction to this finish, but it really felt like everyone in the building wanted a title change. I know I wanted a title change, Chris. I know you wanted the title change. And honestly, I didn't even care which other team won the title. I thought it was going to be Swerve uh, and Keith Lee. That was my prediction. I forgot what yours was. That didn't happen. It was a really damn good match with the wrong rules and the wrong winners. Plus, Rick Knox's referee, though I will say there was a lot of tagging. I'm back and forth between four stars. stars. I'm kind of right between. I'll go with four stars and an A minus. It it was good. It just never hit like another gear that I could say, that's a great match. I definitely want to see again. And usually when I give a match like four, like an A or an A plus, it's a match I'll watch a second time. I'm not going to watch this one again.
1: Yeah, for me, that's what the 4.0 line is. So I was at about a 3.75 because it's not something I'm going to watch again. Mm -hmm. So, the the match ends in the very first thing commentary says is Taz says, well, I didn't expect these guys to walk in with the belts and then walk out with the belts. And I was like, yeah, everybody, every everybody feels that exact same way. He perfectly summarized the takeaway from the match. Essentially. What's that? Exactly. Uh, okay. I guess we're not changing the titles. So since they didn't change the titles, there's not much more to really, Say it was fine. We we got our big, meaty moments. We didn't get Christian turning on Jungle Boyd, so nothing happened. Nothing advanced, nothing moved on. I don't really know, uh, how a team like I don't really know where Keith Lee and Swerve go from here because they got their title shot and they didn't lost again. It. Yeah, so like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really know where this goes next. It was very, very surprising. The, 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 like, the main event world title scene needed to be freshened up it is the tag championship scene really needed to be freshened up and it wasn't so
0: okay i mean they bring in they bring in freaking swerve and keithley and it's loss after loss their wins are inconsequential in between i mean what are you doing with these guys are they going to go for the tnt championship like why not push Keith Lee as tnt champion or you know if, if wardlow's not going to go for it why not get Lee in that picture? Why not get Swerve in that picture? You know, Ricky Starks is basically sitting around with his, his thumb up his ass at this point. I, I don't know why he's so moved the titles here.
1: So, like, by the way, Ricky Starks keeps
0: getting better and better. every Better time
1: and better. See. The guy's incredible. He, yes, He's incredible. So, but, like, the Keith Lee Swerve situation is why I no longer really care when AEW adds a new face. And we'll get into some of the new people that they added, but it's like, they add these, they keep adding more and more people and then they're just not doing anything. So like, wh- how, why am I going to be excited about so-and-so's now all the elite? Okay. Well, Keith Lee showed up months ago and he's they ain't doing shit. Like he's Keith freaking Lee. How? How is he not holding some title involved? It in, like, like just like it, 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 I just, I'm very, very dumbfounded by that, that, yeah. by that decision.
0: One of the strangest booking decisions by far, um, actually, know what? Maybe the strangest match winners, um, yeah. on the entire show. I think it's fair to say that. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Jura- uh I almost call them the Jurassic Appreciation Society. Uh, the Jericho Appreciation Society fought Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, Brian Danielson, and John Moxley in a ten-man Anarchy in the Arena match. Now, before we get to the match, some shit happened on Rampage and also pre-match. On Rampage, we had Danielson against Matt Seidel. There was a great near fall there with an avalanche sunset flip powerbomb by Seidel. Danielson then hit a psycho knee and won with a chokehold. It was a perfect match for a go-home uh, B-show, which is what Rampage is. I went four stars in an A-minus just telling you guys to watch that match. That's it. Anyway, um, instead of trying to explain this match at the very beginning, Justin Roberts opened by saying these words. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to <laughs> And what a great line. What a great way to yep. introduce a match. The crowd popped huge for it. This was the third to last match of the night. And that line, just that line from Justin Roberts, it was so unexpected. It popped me as much as anything I had seen on the show to that point. <laughs> I legitimately laughed well, out
1: loud. Look, we'll get into it. But, but that line, this match saved the show. This show is Dead. It was a long period of time. And so during the basketball game, when they basically told you that this stuff wasn't going to matter as much, this completely turned the show around, got the crowd right back into it. And for good reason,
0: it did. So JAS came out in all white, like a boy band. The wrestlers only came out to Moxa's music, wild thing, uh, all through different aisles in the crowd, the bell rang. And I thought production didn't realize the bell rang. Because it kept playing Mox's music it never turned it off. But they actually did it on purpose. Uh, Mox used a fork at one point. Matt Menard was gushing blood with a full crimson mask. I think he's the one who it was used on. Mox put Jericho in a bulldog choke on a scooter. AEW announced four minutes into the match that the fall has to happen in the ring. Which you and I speculated. No, no, no.
1: That's not true. That's not true. Justin Roberts did say it in the intro.
0: Oh, okay. I missed that. Completely he did. Missed it. Yeah. I, but fine, well, they mentioned I, it on the... In- they mentioned I it on the, the show, question. but not before the show.
1: When, right after Justin Roberts says shit hits the fan, he he says the fight, the pin has to happen in the ring, uh, which I was glad because I didn't know that until he said it.
0: And right. It I'm saying going. they didn't say that before the show. And we were t- we were speculating oh, yes, about yes, yes, that. Yes, you and I were speculating about that on the Ultimate Preview. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so then I was wrong about that. It was four minutes in. But nevertheless, we found out or they reminded us. Uh, Jericho hit Mox with a piece of production equipment that turned off wild thing, which had already reset and was being played a second time. Santana and Ortiz did an insane tope blockbuster on Jake Hager into two tables at ringside. Daniel Garcia did a pile driver onto upturned steel steps. Kingston covered a guy in mustard. Uh, Guys were fighting on the concourse. Commentary was saying 10 minutes in that it was better than Stadium Stampede, which at least at that moment, and we can have that argument or conversation later, in that moment, that was not the case. Uh, Garcia dragged Kingston by his neck with a belt then busted him open. Mox was also busted open big time. He attacked Jericho out of the crowd, unscrewed the top rope, and started tearing it down. He also did some convoluted stuff with it. It was pretty weird. Uh, Kingston and Garcia got into a freight elevator. The door closed, and then they just disappeared. Fans chanted, this is awesome. Santana and Ortiz jumped off opposite sides of a ladder with simple splashes uh, through tables, taking out 2.0. Mox pulled a barbed wire board out from under the ring. Jericho pulled out a fire extinguisher and shot him with it. Mox and Brian dominated Jericho and Hager in the ring and locked in submissions, but neither guy tapped. Kingston then trotted down to the ring, bloodied, looking like a serial killer, holding a gas canister. Very ECW. It was a great sight. Uh, He poured the gas on Jericho and Brian. It was all over the ring. Brian slapped the lighter out of his hand and they brawled against each other, the teammates. Jericho took advantage with chair shots. Hager then pounced Mox off the apron into the barbed wire. Jericho used the top turnbuckle as a bat to hit Brian in the face for a 2.5. He hit Kingston with Judas effect. Brian overcame a two-on-one with running knees on Hager and Jericho uh, with the Jericho one going through a chair. He was about to beat Jericho when Hager took his knee out and strangled him with the top rope. As Jericho put in a half crab, The referee rang the bell with a knockout defeat and Danielson of all people took the fall in 20 minutes. All of that blood, uh, and outside of Mox using the fork, really, I have no idea how anyone else got opened up. And that to me is a minor example of why stadium stampede was superior because for a match that was this chaotic with this many people, You need to tape it and edit it together so it makes sense and you don't miss anything. Beyond that, this ended up being a Jericho-Mox and Jericho-Danielson match more than it was Jericho-Kingston. They hardly fought each other, which was really the point of the entire thing for it to be Jericho and Kingston. So that's a feud that you think is gonna happen. The JAS and the BCC, I guess. But you also have Kingston, who you have to now assume still has issues with Jericho and still has issues now with the BCC because of what Brian did with him. Plus, I was very surprised, Chris, to see JAS win over Danielson, of all people, when Kingston or Santana or Ortiz could have taken the fall. Now, I did enjoy many, many spots in the match. It was chaotic. It was fun as hell. Grading it is nearly impossible. So for a wrestling match, I'm going to say three stars and a B minus, but for entertainment value, it was an a, it was very entertaining. It was totally worthy of being on a pay-per-view. And as you kind of alluded to, it was maybe the first match on this pay-per-view where you said, okay, now we're at an AEW pay-per-view. And that really did not happen over like the prior three hours of the show. It was also, just the second match on the entire card that truly got the crowd going crazy all the way through the other one being the men's trios match between death triangle and house of black.
1: I found it so funny that the entire storyline of this feud is that sports entertainment is bad. We want wrestling and the teams go on to put on a sports entertainment clinic. This was so much fun. This was crazy as hell. This was the definition of sports entertainment. <laughs> like <clears throat> This is exactly what makes sports entertainment work and why it's not a bad thing. Like like it, it it's ultimately the most fun match of the night and yet they like they I don't know if they I don't know if that was like the subtext or what, especially cuz Jericho and them won, but like this was sports entertainment. This is this is like this is why we like it. So, do they do this again? Do they do a war games? Do they do something and then the wrestlers win the wrestling match and we say that's better? Or something like that. I don't know. I just found it so weird that that was the story of the feud, and they did sports entertainment. And look, this was I this was so much fun, better than Stadium Stampede. I think it was it was definitely more chaotic than Stadium Stampede because you had the crowd and you had crowd reactions to it. That's such an important part of wrestling. But you're right that we missed a ton of it because stadium Stampede's were taped and edited, and you could make you could tell the story a lot better that way. Um Eddie Kingston coming down with the gas can, one of the iconic moments of this show. Mm-hmm. And one of my thoughts is he looks like a zombie. My other thought is, man, how ex- this, gas is expensive as hell right now. I can't believe we are going to waste it on doing a match like this. And but but it it told a good story. It it did. You're right that they didn't tell the Jericho Kingston story that they were trying to. And so when he does that and Dana Bryan gets pissed at him for that, that all made sense. And that that ends up kind of sort of costing them. So so that made sense. I assume they're running this back again in some form or fashion. I don't know how the hell you grade it. You're right. But this was this was so much fun. This is why we like sports entertainment. And this match, again, basically saved the show, I think.
0: This match was an E for entertaining. It was just like you said, you, you made a really good point as before like I broke it down. It saved the show. Yeah. It it saved this pay-per-view. It really did. And it came at the right time when it was needed the most. All right, let's move to the Owen Hart tournament. We'll talk about both matches in this. Uh, we'll start with the men. Adam Cole against Samoa Joe. Mike Chioda was the referee. Mike Chioda, I'm sorry, was the referee. I presume for reasons relating to Owen. I don't really know. Uh, Joe overpowered Cole early, countered Panama Sunrise into a very interesting sit-down gutbuster type of move. Joe escaped a crossface, then Cole escaped an STF. Bobby Fish ran down for a distraction. Joe ducked the boom. And then had to let go of the Coquina clutch when Fish jumped up on the ring apron again. Cole hit three super kicks and the boom, slowly rolling Joe over for the win in 13 minutes. If I sound short on my match breakdown there, it's because there wasn't a lot to talk about. This was shockingly slow and uneventful. We got a second straight interference finish on this pay per view. And I think fans were just surprised at the way it ended, which was completely flat and lacking believability. Like, Cole beating him that way with his finisher, Joe being as dominant as he is. I expected a lot more from this. Um, I went 3.25 stars and a B, a slight downgrade because of the finish. Nothing to write home about. Yeah, I mean, this
1: was the first match ever between these two and it was just kind of by the books. I don't know. It it wasn't much there.
0: It was Um, a mediocre TV match on a pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, the the Bobby Fish run-in. So the 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 Jay Lethal people were apparently barred from ringside, but Bobby Fish runs in. There's little reaction from the crowd to that. And Tony Schiavone immediately says that Joe expected Bobby Fish to do this. Why? Why would you say that? What? Like, why You you just no sold the run in in the and the interference by saying like, yeah, we all expected this to happen. Whatever, it's not a big deal. And I was like, that was weird. And then it just kind of you know plays into the finish. We we picked Cole, and it made sense. This was a long-ass card that had things that didn't need to be long and didn't need that much time. But this is one of the things that did. You know, they, they built yeah. up the Owen tournament to be some big thing. You kind of expected more out of the, the, the final. It was fine. You know, whatever. Not something you're going to watch again. The, the the guy we expected to win one But, yeah, it was kind of a letdown of a of a final.
0: We will talk about the Owen tournament as a whole after we go over the women. Britt Baker against an opponent to be determined, and we were going to determine that opponent on a rampage in a match between Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander, semifinal. Ruby hit No Future Outside, and then a Hurricaneana outside and an armbar off the ropes. Statlander came back, with a rolling German suplex and a spinning falcon arrow and a false finish. Ruby escaped the spider crab attempt, caught Stat in La Magistral for the win. Brit's music immediately hit. Ruby tried to cut a promo. Fans boot her ass nonstop while she was cutting the promo. Uh, it was fine, but no one really seemed to care. She promised the cash in a receipt on Baker at Doubler or nothing. So we said in our ultimate preview that, or I said, I should say, that if Statlander was in the match, she would win. And I said, if Soho was in the match, Britt Baker would win. That was my prediction coming in. Uh, before we get to the match itself, do you have any comments about the Rampage match? I thought it was very good, by the way. Yeah, very good match.
1: Very very much enjoyed it. Was yeah. honestly kind of stunned the crowd was that not into Ruby winning, but she did her best to try to basically acknowledge the boos and spin it forward into the promo with Britt and move this forward.
0: Yeah, that that to me was one of the top two matches in the uh, Owen tournament for the women and would have been mm-hmm. a very good final. Uh, anyway, so we get the final Baker Soho, I guess part two, technically, right? Uh, Baker got a fuzzy guitarist for her entrance while Soho had the entire band Rancid doing Ruby Soho, which she's named after, and it's the entrance name that she uses. It was a really good moment. Fans popped for it. You know, it wasn't, I mean, Rancid's Rancid, right? It's not it's not. this like huge superstar band. But at the same time, it was a really nice moment. It made her look good. It made her look like a star. Ruby hit a shotgun dropkick off the apron. Britt worked her on the canvas. Soho hit a superplex. The crowd was dead. Uh, they countered finishers. Soho hit a Saito suplex and an avalanche sent on for a near fall. Baker tossed Soho from the top and hit a stomp for a 2.8. Ruby countered the lockjaw twice and hit no future, followed by a sharpshooter sharp that she botched because she couldn't lift her. This is one of the other ones we were talking about. Baker reached the ropes. Ruby got on bridge shoulders for a victory, victory roll, which Baker reversed into a roll-up of her own for the win in 15 minutes. And then she uncharacteristically lifted Ruby up and shook her hand, which I thought was interesting. This was not a good match. Uh, and as we said on the Ultimate Preview, you know, she should have been the winner. Like I predicted Baker, but Britt Baker should have lost this tournament. Very simply. It was hardly a surprise given how overpushed and overbooked she has been in her AEW career. My only thought was at least there was no outside interference because we got it for the two matches prior. And I was just like, man, they're going to do it again with Rebel or, or uh, Jamie Hayter or someone. We didn't get it, but this was not good. I went 2.25 stars in the C.
1: Yeah, I mean is getting the Charlotte treatment without a doubt.
0: But she she's can't wrestle as well.
1: As, she's not nearly as good as Charlotte. Look, they set this whole thing up for Ruby to win. They gave her a, a very solid video package. They built up the baby face. They gave you the full band entrance, which typically means a win in AEW, the opposite of, of WWE. And that just didn't. The match was not great. Ruby did actually get yeah, two sharpshooters. While like basically on her knees, they were not good, and I I was just stunned by the finish because I I thought they had actually done a, even though the crowd wasn't super into it, I thought they did their best effort to tell the story of Ruby Soho finally climbing back up and getting her a moment in AW that she hasn't had yet, mm-hmm. and then they just didn't do didn't. it didn't yeah. and and I didn't understand that and like you said, Britt didn't cheat. She also picked Ruby Soho up. Like is she just? because it's the final of Owen Hart. She doesn't want to cheat to win. I don't know. She didn't need this at all. You had made a prediction that, you know, it could lead to a a, a thing, which I'm sure you'll say, but they didn't even do that. She just, right. She just won. There was no, there was no reason to do this. And the, and the, and the tag and the men's tag team titles didn't make the, you know, didn't make the changes we all expected. And there was no reason not to. So
0: uh, it was a letdown. Well, think about this. They had, Two heels when a baby face tournament, like on- yeah. a tournament honoring a, a big time baby face, obviously, uh, you know, posthumously, Owen Hart, who's dead. Um, and they had two heels win, both of whom wore pink in their respective matches, which basically telegraphed them winning, even though we knew they were going to win. <laughs> so, like, what are you doing?
1: And they didn't they didn't do I mean, Cole kind of did. But like, I don't like I, it, I my only thought is. They like Cole and Britt as like company faces, and so for the first one, they sure. wanted them to be there for that moment. But like you, sh- you, you, you could have done this with Ruby Soho. Like you didn't need Britt Baker to be there. It's yeah. it's okay if she's not. It's okay if she's not getting every single award and attention all the time. Yeah. you got to make the division more than her, and instead, they they didn't.
0: No, it's it like I said, or like you, we both said it was very much like. Charlotte Flair overbooking, even to the point where it was like, well, Ruby Soho had a special entrance. So we got to make sure Britt Baker has some type of special entrance also, even though it paled in comparison because it was one guitarist versus an entire band. But they still did it. So it was almost like the Fozzie guy was like backstage with Chris Jericho. And Britt's <laughs> like, hey, would you like or, or someone was like, hey, would you just play Britt Baker's entrance? Well, you let you use one of Rancid's guitars or something like that. Like, I don't know that that's what happened, but it just kind of felt like that's what happened, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I I don't know where Ruby Soho goes from here. Like she's
1: definitely not deserving of being in either title picture. Nothing. She just yeah. lost to Britt. Like, she lost to Brit again. Like I don't know. Like what do you do now? Ruby it's Soho. So just, like
0: Ruby Soho just lost. Tony Storm just lost. Chris Statlander just lost. It's like these are your three. Those are the the women that people want to see win, and be in important Brit. things, and they yeah. all just lost yeah. matches. Yep, it's unbelievable. Weird. So. Uh, just just so everyone knows what Chris was alluding to earlier on our pre-show live on Twitter spaces. I theorized I don't know anything. I, I was just I was like, hey, you know what? The only way that this would really make sense if Cole and Britt Baker won is if like they do the the trophy presentation and then like Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae debut. And it's like one couple and another couple. And it makes sense. And it's just this really fun moment. Now, that could still happen on Dynamite. Um as I say, every time I mention Johnny Gargano and wrestling, I want this guy to return to WWE. I think he can be the heir apparent to Brian Danielson on the main roster if they give him the opportunity or if he decides to go back. I don't know that he's going to. I don't know what he's going to do. But there is potentially that storyline where you have this couple that's on top of the world and you have one of his nemeses from NXT long term and Johnny Gargano with his wife, Candice Array, who's a really good wrestler herself, better than Britt Baker, They could step right in and be a really interesting feud for them. So I don't know that it's going to happen, but it's like the only thing that could like save the decision making as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, let's get to this presentation. So Tony Khan brings out Martha Hart. Owen and Martha both got multiple chants from the crowd, which was sweet. Martha gave a nice speech. Uh, It was a little bit long and it didn't really have a point, but it was nice. Uh, There was a big cup, but she also unveiled some really great looking titles that were references back to the Stampede Wrestling North American Championship. There's was that very famous picture of Owen holding the title with a plaque. They're both like takeoffs of that, which was very cool. Nice touch by Tony doing that. Uh, both of the wrestlers, as I said, who actually wore pink, won their tournaments. I mentioned it was a babyface tournament. The speech was sweet. It really dragged. And I maintain that AEW has never once explained what the Owen Hart Foundation does, nor has it promoted it like with a short commercial showing their good works or things they do. All it's done is mentioned the name a bunch of times. I don't even know. And maybe they have. I don't even know that it's like given the web address or a Twitter handle or anything like that. On top of all of this, I found this tournament for the men and women extremely strange. We've talked previously about they never announced how many people would be in the respective tournaments, when they would start. Um, I could have sworn that Adam Cole, when they announced the Forbidden Door pay per view, said the finals were going to be at Forbidden Door. Maybe I misheard that. Whatever they were on this show, I thought this was going to be an incredible, like G One style tournament. I-, I know, you know, not round robin, obviously, but but a, a top tier wrestling tournament. And instead, it was honestly a lot of crap. It was like a modern King of the Ring with slightly better wrestling. The whole thing, the Owens, top to bottom, was a major letdown for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. It it, it was, like you said, they announced it, didn't quite know what it was, took forever to figure out what it was. You You had felt like more qualifying matches than actual matches in the tournament. It wasn't clear exactly what they were fighting for. And, yeah, it it was definitely a lot to have. Look, great to honor own heart work with Martha, work with the foundation, whatever it is. It's all good stuff. I just think this could could have been executed so much better. Like, this is not something, was like, oh, man, I can't wait for the next Owen Hart tournament.
0: Oh, like, yeah, I'm not looking forward to the next one. Okay. And,
1: and, and you know, Cole makes a comment in, in the promo where he's like, this is the most, you know, basically, like, this is the most prestigious tournament in pro wrestling. Or whatever." And then, look, everybody's going to just say that, but, like, not it. All oh, like the not King of the Ring doesn't even exist. And it's not that the G1, you got all these other things that go on. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, it, 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 was, it was a real letdown uh, based on what what it could have been when they first announced it all.
0: Totally. By the way, um, we're halfway through this match card. <laughs> Seven matches down, six to go, plus a special segment. We're going to go through the rest of these quicker. Don't you worry. Uh, There's Death say about a lot of
1: these other things.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Death Triangle versus House of Black. Malachi Black and Ray Phoenix started hot, as did Buddy Matthews and penta oscuro pack hit a great poison run on matthews in the first big spot of the match the lucha bros went on a run with stereo super kicks and topes con hero brody king kicked out of a combination flip tagging disappeared at this point there were a series of four topes and a high risk and, and high risk moves all combined to the front side of the ring before brody king completely botched a tope con hero slamming his shoulders into the ring apron and missing everybody Um, I just felt so bad for him in that moment. Again, I'm literally dealing with back problems right now. He seemed to be fine, but I winced in pain when I saw that. It was really, really scary. Uh, It was an all-out brawl after that. The spot of the match came with Penta leaping off Phoenix's back for a Canadian Destroyer of Matthews onto the ring apron. They followed with an assisted draping flying knee to the outside on King. Black got beat down three on one, then hit Black Mass on Penta and Phoenix before missing on Pack. Pac did a springboard 450 over Matthews onto Black, then threw Matthews into King outside the ring. And then out of nowhere, Alex Abrahantis jumps onto the ring apron to distract when Pack has the upper hand and no one else is getting involved. Pack low blows Black, fans boo. He's then about to hit the black arrow and win the match when the lights go out. They come back on. Julia Hart is standing there. She spits Black Mist into Pack's face. Black then hits him with Black Mass and House of Black wins in 15 minutes. This was the match of the night until it wasn't. Like, while the right team ultimately won and they did pay off the storyline with Julia technically after six months, this was way too freaking good of a match with way too many talented wrestlers to end this way. The Abrahantus interference made no sense. The low blow did make sense because commentary explained it. Credit to commentary for that. But the fans hated it because it was completely unnecessary. What, Ju- what should have happened is Julia probably should have showed up on the go home dynamite to do this spot in like a tag team match. And then you have the faces come back and win. So House of Black wins that, the faces win this. I'm gonna say four stars in an A minus with a downgrade because of the extremely disappointing finish. But this thing was so damn good that I don't feel like I need to go in the B range, even though I hated, truly hated the finish to this match. It was completely unnecessary, especially for a long-term feud where you really want one side to get the win. This
1: was such a WWE finish. <laughs> the way it they was. did it. <laughs> look, look, the the Julia Hart thing, they kind of paid it off, except for she already made her like, turned to to the house of black and then just didn't nothing changed since then. You know, the the with the chair, whatever it was. Yeah. Nothing. They didn't go back to her and convince her just all of a sudden. Now she is, if you had just taken out that thing and come back to this, you know, six months later and done it, then it would be like, Oh, long-term storytelling, AKA forgot. They finally did something with it. Sure. Um, It's, it's, it's it's a weird way to pay it off when you kind of botched the previous way by not paying it off. But this match was, Heck of a lot of fun. That spot where I think it was Ray Phoenix, he like puts Malachi Black on the Buddy uh, Buddy Matthews shoulders and then kicks Buddy Matthews in the legs and it results in him powerbombing Malachi Black. That was insane. I have never seen anything like that. There, there were so many cool spots in this. Um, the tag rules did not exist, obviously, because it's an AW show. There was a point where they were doing the tag stuff and I know, I noticed Penta Tags Pac but then keeps wrestling for like legitimately like 30 seconds yeah. before Pac eventually comes in to, to do the next deal. It was so delayed that Excalibur forgot the tag had happened and realized he had, he had missed it. Um, should, should, th- so the Julie Hart thing happens. Shivani says, we should have seen this coming. Why? Why should you have seen this coming? There's literally, th- th- literally no reason you should have seen it coming because of what ha- had happened previously. A, a very weird way to no sell a shocking moment again. Uh, so there was some weird stuff around it, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. I thought this would open the show. Obviously, the MJF stuff changed things. But in that first three hours of the show, this was about the only highlight, really.
0: I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. for Sure. Uh, let's keep going. The Young Bucks fought the Hardys on Rampage. The Bucks fought Taylor, Rust and John Cruz. The Bucks uh, entered cosplaying as the Hardys to their theme with randomly Gangrel at their side for some reason. Uh, yes, that Gangrel from the Brood, WWE. Matt teased the avalanche leg drop, decided not to. They hit super kicks, a twist of eight, and a swanton bomb from Nick for the win. Then they attacked Gangrel, and the actual Hardys saved him from the BTE trigger. They all hit finishers on Brandon Cutler, the faces did. This was one of like the least developed feuds on the card, but I will say the go-home moment on Rampage, it was nice. It it did like make me a little bit more interested in the match. It was it was very cool. The
1: the Bucks nailed all the little things about the Hardys. Like sometimes those aren't done well.
0: That was done very well. Yeah. Uh the Bucks got a Las Vegas vignette like video package entrance. Then some dude I've never heard of um was put on commentary. They said he's from Ring of Honor. Caprice but, Coleman. But nothing. About this match, I mean, I know these guys fought in Ring of Honor before, but nothing about this match had to do with Ring of Honor, and they didn't explain who this guy is or why his expertise. Like, is he some tag team savant? Does he did he train these guys? They gave no explanation. It was just a voice I had never heard before on commentary for the match.
1: Yep. I had no idea who it was. I asked you who it was. You said, I don't know. Did you I Google look it? Up is there any information yeah. about this guy? I, well, I did, I did a Twitter search just to figure out who it is. And everybody said Caprice Coleman. I didn't look up any further. He's just he's a uh, he's a TNA ring of honor guy. 45 years old.
0: He was trained by uh, Jeff and Matt Hardy
1: trained
0: by he's Jeff 40. And Matt Hardy, he's 45 years already. old. He, listen, this guy is 45 years old and he was trained by the Hardy Boys.
1: Looks like he has not wrestled in a while based on there's not much on his Wikipedia. So, I, yeah, it was completely random. I missed it. I missed the announcement. That's why I said that's why I asked you who it was. Um, they didn't explain
0: why. I don't know. Was, yeah, there's no I mean, I'm looking at this guy's Wikipedia profile. There's like nothing here. So I, it was so random for this guy, for this guy to be there. I mean, maybe they were testing him out on commentary. Cool. Do that on Darker Elevation. Don't do that here. Anyway, that's we'll the match. And match. <laughs> yeah, not on a pay-per-view match. Uh he he wasn't bad by the way actually. He did he did add some decent insight, but I just didn't know who he was or why I should care what he had to say. That's all. Yeah, it was
1: jarring. It was jarring cuz it was it was it was unexpected.
0: It was. Uh so this match was like a mix of comedy and extremely slow wrestling for the first 10 minutes. Nick missed whisper in the wind and Jeff Hardy really struggled to do it himself. Also one of his boots was somehow completely unzipped and unbuckled. He was down for a long time after Whisper in the Wind, never fixed it or removed it. Jeff tagged out and slumped in the corner. He was taunted, so he eventually stood up and flipped two birds. Jeff continued laboring and hit Poetry in Motion, but the Bucks countered with a springboard double stomp. Then Jeff missed a Swanton Bomb, Matt hit Twist of Fate, and Nick hit a Swanton with Jeff kicking out at 2.8. It was the best sequence of the match, I think, by a mile. The Bucks bumped knees on a BTE trigger, but super superkicked both Hardys. Jeff struggled to rise again, and the Bucks hit a ton of basement dropkicks for dual 2.5s. Steel steps were upturned outside, but Matt Hardy broke things up with a sit-down powerbomb. Jeff then put Matt Jackson on the steps and repeated the Swanton spot from the Darby Allin match. Matt then hit twist of fate inside for a false finish. And then he hit side effect in a twist of fate. Plus, Jeff hit the Swanton on Nick inside for the win in 19 minutes. Jeff immediately ran into the crowd To celebrate, Matt's standing there, like, with a bloody mouth, just waiting for him to come back. He eventually makes his way back. I legitimately have no idea what to say about this match. Jeff appeared to be out of it during the entrance. Yeah, I wrote the the same thing down. But I'm not going to make assumptions, but he seemed out of it during the entrance. Then he seemed out of it in the ring, like, during introductions. The first half of the match was atrocious. Then he either got injured or whatever was going on with him cropped up again and it drastically affected the match. He was still able to hit a bunch of his spots and the wrestling did pick up significantly down the stretch. But man, it was tough to get through this. Five years ago, this match booked this way would have been an absolute banger. Grading this is impossible. I'll say uh, 2.75 stars C plus. I I guess it was above average. Some good spots, but man, like, I was thinking about Jeff Hardy that entire match.
1: Yep, same. I, I, There was parts, I said, did he hit his head or something? I don't know, but I, I wrote the exact same thing on. During the entrance, he didn't have the normal energy that he normally does, and his his handshakes with the crowd are really weird. I was like, it's kind of weird. And then you see him stumble on the rope, and you're like, what's going on? You realize, and Excalibur points out that his boot is coming off. So like, oh, okay, maybe that's just what it is. He stays in the match for a while, finally tags out, and just sits in the ring in the corner for like a long period of time, long time. yeah. Doesn't fix his boot or anything. I don't know what the heck was going on. I hope he's okay. This was a mess. The Bucks tried their artists to, to make something out of it. um, But, and, and also, they, you know, I had said going into the match, this really needs a video package to tell, th- there was not much of a story here. When the obvious story is, The Hardys looked up to the to the to the the, the Bucks, looked up to the Hardys, find all these old clips of them as kids trying to do the same things like do that. They did it an extended one in the pre-show. They did a shorter version of it, I think, before the match. So that was needed. It helped. I would have liked more, but it was it was at the last minute. This whole thing was weird. Like you said, just completely weird. (laughs) And my takeaway is simply that I hope
0: Jeff Hardy's okay. It feels like if this was WWE, this would have been like a, a huge news story. People would be going crazy about it, digging mm-hmm. into it, breaking news about it. And I have not heard peep since this match ended. Like well, I zero think, tweets. I do think, think part Yeah. Go ahead.
1: I think part of that is because there were thirteen freaking matches and this was like four. Sure, hours but middle. but
0: this would have been but a it was standout moment weird. on a WWE yeah. pay-per-view where people would have said, What's wrong with Jeff? What happened? Is he okay? I, I'm not even suggesting that there's anything nefarious going on. I'm simply saying they didn't even update his injury status. Like, you know, you know, one of the reporters, uh, PW Insider, whoever, uh, you know, we checked, and Jeff Hardy is totally healthy, or Jeff Hardy hurt himself, suffer, suffered a concussion. I mean, something happened. It either happened before the match, uh, or it was an ongoing situation, or something happened during the match. Something happened though. I mean, I, I want to know what it was. I don't think that's unfair. Yeah. So, I agree. All right, uh, I'll keep going. Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti, and Frankie Kazarian fought Men of the Year and Paige Van Zant On Rampage, the Men of the Year and Dan Lambert unveiled the new TNT title. It was Lakers colors, as we suspected last week. Probably, by the way, the ugliest version of the belt since the unfinished one. Sammy, Ty, and Kaz uh, then invaded American top team, breaking a trophy case, stealing three UFC belts, and saying they would be in Las Vegas. So because they stole belts that had nothing to do with him, Sky accepted uh, Trio's mixed tag team match, saying that if the heels win, neither of the guys, Kaz or Sammy, can challenge for the TNT title again. This entire setup was strange. Paige Van Zandt's debut should have been a moderate big deal. She hasn't been on TV for like an entire month, but then they shoehorned this match and at the last minute on a go-home rampage, really weird all around.
1: Yeah, like you said, Paige Van Zandt's wrestling debut, like you would think AEW would want to pump everything out of that that they could for weeks. Didn't get any of it. Didn't know if this was going to happen. I don't know who the faces are or the heels are. I'm not rooting for either of these teams as it's going on.
0: Extremely weird. So the match, Sammy and Ty got the elevator entrance. They legitimately came out to go away heat. It wasn't just heat, it was go away heat. Um, She was dressed, I think, as... Maleficent or whatever that Disney thing is. She had the horns on. I don't know. Uh, Kaz they're, got they're, pit- Yeah, Go and they were in the belts, by the way.
1: And if you didn't catch Rampage, you, I, they didn't explain it, I don't think, during the entrance. You'd be wondering why Ty Conti's wearing a UFC championship belt if you didn't <laughs> catch Friday.
0: That is true. Um, uh, Kaz got pissed that the couple was celebrating outside early in the match. Sammy ended up tagging himself in. Paige got the tag seven minutes in. She was slow, but she did look capable, I will say. She punched Sammy in the gut and then did a great tornado DDT. She also had a Mishinoku driver on Conti. It looked like she dropped tie on her head. Thankfully, she did not, and she was okay. Conti then did some swinging move, seemingly without a care for Van Zant's health. She almost broke her back on it. The couple then made out, then got confronted three on two. Kaz chose not to help them because he was still angry. Once all five people were down, he tagged himself back in. He had a great cutter on Sky flying over the top rope. Conti argued with Kaz. Uh, Sammy then went to super kick Kaz when she ducked, or or sorry, when he ducked, and he nailed Conti in the face. Those were the two best spots of the match. Um, The cutter and that super kick, fantastic. Uh, Sky then caught Kaz with the TKO to get the win in 12 minutes. This should have been a dynamite main event. Not a pay-per-view match. It would have been a very fun Dynamite main event. Did not belong on pay-per-view. Van Zant, she held her own. She got no help from Conti. The only baby face in the entire match it was a six-person match. The only baby face was Kaz. I'll go 2.5 stars in a C on a curve because I actually liked it more than I expected. And the super kick was awesome. But this, I didn't want this on the pay-per-view. It was a total waste of time.
1: Yeah, it was fun, but you would have liked a a better build, more sense to the whole thing. The whole thing was just confusing the whole time. Paige Van Sant's wrestling debut. You would think you'd want her in there with someone more capable than Ty Conti just to simply make Paige look good. So that, that was a whole mess. You're right that Frankie Kazarian really was the face of this whole thing. And when he blows them off and doesn't come help the, the standoff in the ring, Crowd popped for that, but then he came back in the match, and he, like, tagged himself, and he just starts going into the match again. I thought, like, I thought it was great that he was going to blow them off, walk to the back or something, they'd get their ass kicked and lose. Instead, he just gets over it. He goes in the ring, gives them, you know, tell them to F off, essentially, leaves, but then he, like, a few minutes later is just back in the match. That was weird. Uh, So... Yeah, I don't know. It, it it was very nice to hear afterward. Hear afterwards uh, Scorpio Sky saying that they are done with Sammy Guevara and all this shit. It was a stipulation. Thank God. Yeah, I know. But he literally said it like very clearly in the promo to let us know that we are done with this shit. Thank God.
0: Yeah, I have no idea what that couple is going to do in that thing that you're talking about. He asked who's going to step up and challenge him. The fans chanted for Wardlow, who, by the way, should be the one to take the title off Sky instead. Mm-hmm. Dante Martin stepped up, Sky cut him down. It'll be a good one off match, but there's no way that Sky loses to Dante Martin. I don't even want to respond from you. Let's just keep going. Uh, Darby Allen fought Kyle O'Reilly on Rampage. Darby challenged O'Reilly because he injured Sting and he threatened to make the rest of the Undisputed Elite's life hell if O'Reilly didn't accept the match. We actually never got him accepting the match on the show. They ended up just announcing it for the pay-per-view. Going in, it was obviously going to be a good match wrestling wise. But it was just completely unnecessary for it to be on the card in the first place. So Darby hit a code red, then later nearly injured both himself and O'Reilly with a tope suicida, where he went through the bottom rope instead of the middle rope, tripped and fell on his collarbone outside while kicking KOR in the face. He was down for a bit. Then they did it again on the other side with Darby going through the middle rope. He got caught in a front chancery. Darby caught O'Reilly in the ropes and did a coffin drop draping onto the apron, which was a nasty spot. O'Reilly caught a second uh, coffin drop attempt in the ring and choked Darby with his own chain. Darby kicked out of PKs at one and then again at two. Then O'Reilly hit a third PK, jumped to the top rope, hit his driving knee, and got the clean win in 11 minutes. Outside of the botch, this was a damn good match between two really good wrestlers I assumed it would be the popcorn match that would delay the main event for the NBA, but it went fifth to last. The booking was a shocker, putting KOR over Darby clean. And I thought it was weird that Samoa Joe got protection and Darby Allen did not. Just really strange decision making. In fact, this is the type of match I thought should have been the final of the Owen. Like this was a very well wrestled, high quality match. I'm going to go, I was back and forth here. I was actually at a minus, but I'm going to go B plus 3.75 stars. It was really good. It just never felt like there were any stakes or storyline in the match. So I am going to go with the B plus.
1: Yeah, I just nobody nobody cared about this crowd didn't care. Like it it was it was there was there for no reason. Like everybody kind of knew it was just to delay, you know, while the basketball game was going on. And then Darby Allen, you know, tumbles and nearly hurts himself. And I'm thinking, We nearly got a serious injury to Darby Allen or Kyle O'Reilly simply because Tony Khan didn't want his main event to possibly go up against a basketball game. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, those guys don't deserve that. Like, they're going out there putting their bodies on the line for nothing. Just to stall time. That was completely unnecessary. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly begins to choke uh, Darby Allen via his chain. Commentary calls it the unbreakable chain. It immediately breaks. <laughs> and, then, and they start like laughing essentially. I was like, yeah, that pretty much just kind of sums this whole thing up. doesn't?" it? Thank God nobody really got hurt. I didn't care about this. Nobody
0: cared. We'll forget about it tomorrow. Uh, Andrade El Idolo got a video package in a boardroom saying the Andrade family office has been a failure filled with losers. He said he drew up a new business contract and welcomed in Roosh previously from CMLL and Ring of Honor. He's currently in AAA in Mexico. All the ways they could have introduced this guy. And they did it in a taped package on a pay-per-view instead of live on Dynamite where he could have gotten a pop. Now, I assume they did this because Andrade was in Mexico getting married, by the way, to Charlotte Flair. Congrats to both of them. I know Roosh was there. I saw pictures. It felt like they kind of filmed it around his wedding. Like, they were all there together. They jumped in a boardroom. They said, "Hey, why don't you film a vignette uh, for Dynamite?" Uh, but it was extremely strange to do it here instead of debuting him live on TV. It's like everything they do with Andrade is just not correct, no matter what it is—like booking him, pr- presentation of him, uh, doing the Hardy thing, and now making the Andrade family office. He called them all losers, but they signed. But he signed Roosh to the Hardy fam- or the Andrade family office instead of starting something fresh. I don't, I don't even understand why they did this or how they did it this way. And by the way, if you think MJF is a pain in the ass, Roosh is a bigger pain in the ass. So good luck with that, Tony Khan. But I mean, he's great. Do they need him? I mean, no, they don't need this guy. I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. Whatever. Do you have any thoughts?
1: Uh by the way, speaking of Tony and MJF, uh Tony Khan gave a no comment at the press conference. Uh would go. not say anything about it. So is that weak. I, I just AEW is so it's crazy how bad AEW is at debuting surprises. Like they mess this up all the time. And every single time they have a big pay-per-view, they'll do a debut and it'll be terrible. It'll be Tony Giovanni coming out saying Hey, we've signed X person. And like, that's <laughs> the worst. They do this all the time. So they do it a different way, which is via Andrade video from his wedding with him shitting on his own group and then adding somebody to it. I Commentary had to explain to me who it was afterward. I'm not familiar with him. I don't care about this at all. Nobody cares about this. This is, so, again, such a weird way to do it. Considering AW over and over and over is all about surprises and debuts and blah, blah, blah. They hit on it like 30% of the time they get it right. It's like the easiest layup in wrestling. some to Someone to make a surprise debut. And they somehow just like cannot get it right. Well. It's just remarkable that every single pay-per-view, they they reveal somebody in the least exciting
0: way possible. Well, why don't we talk about that exact topic a little bit? Yes. We'll keep going and talk about it. We had, more a T- of it. we had a TBS championship match that also should not have been on the pay-per-view. Jade Cargill against Anna Jay. Cargill got the elevator entrance that Cody Rose used to get. Uh, Anna hit a superplex, then did some kind of botched flipping blockbuster before running Cargill into the steps and post outside. Ciara Hogan and Red Velvet interfered and ate a double DDT outside. That gave Cargill an opening for the boot to the chest. Anna counter jaded for a near fall. Mark Sterling ran down and threw a crutch in the ring. By the way, that's now three people, okay, that have interfered. Uh, Anna used it for a white Russian leg sweep. Shout out to Sandman. Uh, John Silver ran down for a brain buster on Sterling outside. That's four. Meanwhile, Cargill hit Eye of the Storm for a near fall. Anna counted Jaded again, this time into Queenslayer. Commentary sold that no one had escaped it, but Cargill just basically ran her into the corner and easily escaped it. Then Stokely Hathaway, the former Malcolm Bivens in WWE, randomly walked down as Cargill had Jay on the top rope. That's five. She had an avalanche Jaded for the win. They then went to attack after the bell when Chris Statlander made the save, that's six. Then Athena, former Ember Moon, made her debut, that's seven. And the six women all uh, faced off together. Where do we go? Okay, the match was poor, two stars, C-. minus. It was incredibly distracting as a viewer to see four people interfere during the match, one of them making their debut, and then two immediately run out after, including another debut, If this happened on Dynamite in a non-title match, it probably would have been a perfectly good segment with pops for a couple really talented performers. This did not belong on a pay-per-view. It made the TBS title seem completely irrelevant and worthless. It was the definition of overbooking. This was the
1: most WCW 2000 shit I've ever seen, at least in 22 years. This was unbelievably sloppy and terrible every single part of it the match was a mess especially early on jade's going to the wrong turnbuckle or someone's going to the wrong turnbuckle they're forgetting moves jade J- you know they do the the leg sweep with the crutch jade has a terrible kick out on it like one and a half smart mark interfered twice he, uh, among the interferers, he, he did it twice You've got... I, I, I'm just thinking, this is a title match. If you put these two on the WWE Women's Division, they would be near the bottom in wrestling ability. Look, I, I think Jade's got all the potential in the world. She is not there yet. She is still very far away. And she's
0: apparently working with Danielson and all these great wrestlers, and it's not getting yeah, better. So, And then... Stokely athlete comes out to
1: for, for no reason other than to just stand there. To do nothing. Right. He didn't
0: do anything. Well, he distracted. Didn't them. do anything. He, he distracted while they were on the top rope, you could say. By by standing there. He pulled the Damien
1: Priest at, yes. at, at WrestleMania, apparently. And then Statlander comes out, gets a decent pop because people like her. He's like, oh, we're going to do. We're At this point, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to do Statlander, Jade. I'm kind of excited for that. I, I, I'm actually looking forward to that. Get the title off her. You can do some real things people are in Statlander right now. Tony says she's here for Red Velvet or her old friend Red Velvet. <laughs> and I'm like I don't I don't care about that. And then and why wouldn't Velvet she be there for the t-
0: why should why wouldn't she yeah. be there for the TBS champion? Yeah, and then and then so I'm like,
1: "Well, that's not as interesting." Then Red Velvet steps up and then the Athena music hits and you're like, "What the fuck is going on here? Like there's <laughs> this, why why are you debuting two unrelated people at the same time in the same segment?" Lord, this like, again, what I just said, and I'm trying not to cough from my COVID here while I'm saying this, but like a surprise debut or return is the best thing about pro wrestling. It is the easiest layup in pro wrestling. And AEW just cannot do these right. They're, they're, they've gotten a couple right. Dana Bryan, Adam Cole. That was great. nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed John Moxley. That was great. Moxley. So it's about it. Andrade's debut was terrible. Malachi Black's debut was terrible. Oh, Andrade's Keithley's was f- awful.
0: Oh, my
1: God. Keatley's was, fu- was fine. Swerves was terrible. Big Show's was terrible. Christian's was terrible. They just, they, they're so bad at this. And yeah. I don't get it. It should not be this hard. Why are you debuting Stokely Hathaway and Athena together? Together and, but separate, yeah. Together, but separate while you've got Chris Statlander running in and smart Mark and John Silver. Like this is so unnecessary. They just completely shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to these things. And it is
0: mind boggling. This should be the this this should be the easiest thing to do right. And they can't do it right. It's so weird. And commentary even delivered a line like, well, well, Mark Sterling screwed up. So she replaced him with Stokely Hathaway. He screwed up in that moment. She didn't have enough time to <laughs> leave the ring, go call Stokely. Hey, do you want to take the job? You want to join us? And then bring him back down to the ring? Like, it, it happened 30 seconds later. So the reasoning of it didn't even make sense. Look, the show, the sh- I'm, I'm freaking, ex- it's past 2.30 on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, I'm tired. <clears throat> Look, Stokely showing up in AEW was a no-brainer. The guy is super talented. I cannot help but feel like he should have debuted in a bigger spot than managing the baddies, which is an absolute yeah. go nowhere group. Even if he's managing Jade and they love her and they want to push her, I fine. But like, this is a guy who, and again, I got to interview him. I want to interview Stokely, okay? If anyone has the, the, the contact, connect me with him. I want to understand why and maybe he was just frustrated with his time in WWE and not getting called up and not being used in NXT for a year. I get it, man. I would get really fucking frustrated at that shit too. But he had a chance to go to the main roster and manage Omos, which I mean, I don't like Omos personally, but they do, and that's a big featured spot for this guy, right? Managing a yeah. guy who's going to go up against Bobby Lashley and MVP and all these big fe- feuds. That's not good enough for him, but Jade and the Baddies is good enough. So I mean, maybe there's bigger plans. I hope there are. I hope he gets to manage some dudes and, and just be a great big-time talker on screen. But if, to, to bring him in, in basically the equivalent of a Mark Sterling role, I, I mean, I'm not thrilled about that. Athena is a big coup for the women's division. But we're at the point where it doesn't fucking matter who they bring in for the women. Exactly. Because they book them like shit. And even on the rare occasions where you do have two good women fight each other and they're in a good match, it's a meaningless match. It's almost never um, for a title or, or something where the person who wins ultimately gets over. Look how many women they have debuted and not done anything with because they just want to keep pushing Jade Cargill and Britt Baker. I mean, Tony Storm yeah. just lost. Ruby Soho just lost again. Chris Statlander just lost. These are all people the fans want to be pushed. Chris Statlander should have, I know she got injured. I get it. She should have already been AEW Women's World Champion And she probably should be the one to take the title off Jade Cargill, the TBS championship. They got to shit or get off the pot with some of these women at this point. They could have debuted Athena in the Owen tournament. She could have come out after Thunder Rosa beat um, Serena Deep tonight and said, I'm here and I'm the next challenger for your title. There are so many other ways they could have debuted her. This is what they did.
1: Or make her the Joker instead of... Maquito or whatever. Yes, or whatever. make her the joker, know she That's would, what I'm like, saying. Yeah. I know she would I know she would lost, but whatever. But like again, like this is why I keep saying like everybody's like, oh, Sasha and Naomi, AEW? huh? What do you think? What do you think? They were gonna play WWE insane. was putting Sasha they,
0: Banks, WWE was putting Sasha it, Banks and Naomi in world in championship matches. matches on pay-per-views against two of the bi- yes. other biggest women in the company. That wasn't good enough because God forbid the tag team titles had to wait a month to get defended. Meanwhile Thunder Rosa doesn't defend the title in three months. She finally gets, or, or two months, finally gets it on a pay-per-view and is overshadowed by a lot of other shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. So
1: like, I'm happy for Atina to be back. She's great. I, I know she, she had a interesting go in NXT slash WWE. She's a great talent. Happy to, she's awesome. to have work and hopefully she's happy. She's awesome. But like hey, yeah. this division is a mess. And if you're in a good spot in WWE, like Sasha and Naomi, it would not make any sense to join this. this and, and this is why I don't, get as excited about AEW surprises, debuts, returns, whatever,
0: because I have zero faith that it's going to go anywhere for any of them. We've talked about it with the guys, too. What's Malachi Black really done? What's Andrade done? What's Keith Lee or Swerve done? Seriously, what have they done? Nothing. Exactly. They've literally done nothing. Um, All right. Lastly, the buy-in match. Hookhausen against Tony Nese and Mark Sterling. Hook got a hot tag. Sterling tried not to get tagged in, but accidentally did by patting Nese on the back. Hook hit high collar suplexes, did a slit throat motion on Sterling, then reluctantly tagged in Danhausen, who stepped on his chest for the win in five minutes. I know these guys are somewhat over. This should not have been anywhere near this pay-per-view. 1.75 stars, D+.
1: It's, it, look, it's the same thing I said in the preview. It's, it's a fine buying match. It's a fun thing that everybody there wants to see. They actually, it was probably... Hell, the fourth or fifth best story they told of any of the yes. matches coming yeah. coming into them. Uh they, they they told a story on on, on uh, rampage, they filed through in the pay-per-view on the pre-show. Totally fine. I got no issues with it. Not a great match, obviously, who cares? But they told the story, they paid it off. Boom. It's all you can ask for.
0: Okay, so that is our AEW double or nothing instant analysis. It is time to get to our post-show grades. A reminder: our pre-show expectation grades. Chris, B plus. Adam, B plus. Listeners. B-plus. Now, I don't know if you guys follow what we do because you're usually right along with us in the pre-show grades, but all of us were aligned at a B-plus for this. Chris, um, look, double or nothing, very simply, not up to AEW standards of pay-per-views. I don't feel like the $50 I spent was wasted money by any means. It was an entertaining show. There was some damn good wrestling on it. I was entertained. I had a good time. Also- It was an hour longer than it needed to be. There were at least three matches on the card that did not need to be and should not have been on it. There were at least three match results that did not make sense in terms of like what they should have booked. And I'm not saying it from like a fantasy booking standpoint. I'm talking about like what AEW needs and what people should have really expected them to do. Um, And then, you know, we have to look at the totality of the show. Tony Khan started the show by going comedy, squash, half comedy, total mess, and then back-to-back interference finishes. This thing started very slow. The crowd was dead for most of the show. It was probably the worst start to an AEW pay-per-view, match quality-wise, that I can remember. I think a lot of these shows, I'm throwing away four stars, five stars, you know, high threes. I mean, I gave one match a 4.25 here and a couple others got fours and 3.75s. But like, there was a lot of Cs and even a D on this show. It just, it was not a high quality pay-per-view. The first two thirds of this pay-per-view felt like a wrestling heavy edition of Dynamite instead of a pay-per-view show. Mick Foley's missing teeth at MFMT 1982. He wrote, There's a, there was a very good three hour pay-per-view mixed into Double or Nothing somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty close to right. I would say there was a really good two and a half hour pay-per-view mixed into double or nothing somewhere. And yeah, you know, that's kind of where we stand here. Um, not thrilled, fell below my, ex- spoiler alert, fell below my expectations. I'm not giving it a B plus, uh, but there were some very high quality things to take home. Chris, when we do our post-show grades, you always get the opportunity to go first. So give us your thoughts and give us your post-show grade for AEW double or nothing. So our last one of these was Backlash,
1: right? WrestleMania Backlash? WrestleMania period.
0: Backlash, yes.
1: Yeah. And I gave that one, I think, a C plus, which I think is the lowest I've ever given a show, um, simply because none of it mattered. Wrestling was fine. None of it mattered. This, I'm going to do a B-, and even th- that feels a little friendly. Like, there was just so much of this that was just completely waste of time, whether it was a couple matches that didn't matter, a couple matches that did matter and then didn't change the result. So then they ultimately didn't matter in the end. What are you going to remember about this show? What, what, what are the moments? The moments uh, to me are the anarchy match. Yeah. Punk winning the world title. Yeah. It's about all that happened. But not matter. the match, the,
0: the, but not even the match. Just
1: punk. Winning. No. No, but it's fine. But like my, 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 my whole thing with wrestling is what are the moments? What are the moments you come out of a show? Like when I think of that pay-per-view, I'm going to think of that moment. You're going to think of Punk won the title. You're going to think of the Anarchy match. You might kind of think of MJF, but that's kind of a weird situation. That's not because right. of great booking or anything like that. Nothing else stood out. Everything no. on this show had the exact same tone, the same story. The stage was the exact same. I'm very surprised that... It- AW doesn't go out to make its stages special for the pay per views, considering they only do a few of them. Um, I, I it, it was the, the video packages were nice, but they didn't use all of them. Basically, you had to search them out if you wanted the full backstory. Kind they were
0: of, they were also completely things. repetitive, they were completely repetitive from the buy in, which was completely repetitive and, from the countdown yes. show. So, if you saw just, any of those, you saw all, it three yeah. times, yeah.
1: And they were all the same. It was the two wrestlers, and it was Excalibur and Jim Ross and Mark Henry talking about it. Like, like right. everything on this felt the same. Nothing really stood out. Honestly, what stood out the most was was MJF because his feuds are always just different than everything else the company does because he makes his stuff more interesting. This obviously had some other stuff going on, but like, you know, I, I'm I'm gonna go B minus because the wrestling was not all that great. I think the wrestling at Backlash was probably better. And you you got a you got a world title change, but that's about the only thing that happened that really ultimately mattered. And that's typically not what AEW does at the pay per views. They do the big payoffs for all these things. You didn't get a tag title. You didn't get a change. You didn't get a Ruby Soho moment. You just they really just didn't pull the trigger on a lot of stuff, which was very surprising. So I
0: I, I go B minus. I think you're you're I'm having the exact same back and forth between those two now. I forgot what I gave WrestleMania backlash. I was not a C+. I think I was a B. You were a fan. You gave it like a B or so. Yeah. I think I gave it a B. On I think I gave it a B because my argument to you was was there a lot of you know moments that we would remember? No. But I was fully freaking entertained during that show. Those matches on that program were really good. Like just consistent high quality. Because there's only 6 of them. And we went into it saying Man, WWE, they booked a terrible show. There's um only one title on the line. Uh, we expected it to change and it did, but that match overdelivered, the six-man main event completely over-delivered, even though Reigns wasn't defending the title. So I came out of that very pleased because the expectations were lower going in and they were able to exceed them. The exact opposite is here. We gave AEW what I would consider. Benefit of the doubt, because we came in and we said, what did we say? We said, the storylines have not been good. The build to two thirds of the matches, if not more, on this card have been extremely lackluster. However, on paper, it has an opportunity to exceed expectations because it could give us great wrestling. Well, here's the thing. It didn't give us great wrestling. So not only did it not meet the expectation, it fell below the expectation. And Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. I think, you know... If I hadn't the ability to see all of my grades of AEW pay-per-views in the past, there's a good possibility this would come in as a C C+. But mm-hmm. it closed very strong, even though there was mm-hmm. a couple botches in the main event. The final three matches, Anarchy in the Arena, the Tag Team Triple Threat, and CM Punk winning the title off Hangman Page, all of those hit. They were really good. And the crowd, which was dead for the first two-thirds of the show, three-quarters of the show, It picked up as soon as Anarchy in the arena began. It picked up for the duration for the last three matches. And those are just the three matches that ended it that I very much enjoyed. I also did legitimately enjoy uh, the wrestling in Darby and Kyle O'Reilly. There was zero storyline, but the wrestling was good. And I also liked the Death Triangle House of Black match. Again, a situation where the finish I didn't like and I downgraded it because of it, but the wrestling in it was good. So this this is what I'm going to say. This was very disappointing for an AEW pay-per-view. I'm going to go with, I'm aligning with you directly. I'm going to say a B minus because there was enough good that I can't really cut out and say this was an average show. We've seen average pay-per-views before, especially with WWE, where you walk out and you're just like, man, that was worthless. Now, pre-pandemic, we're mostly talking about with WWE Mm because they've been hitting on their pay-per-views. Uh, over the last couple of years, but I know what a C or a D pay-per-view is. And to me, this was not a C or D pay-per-view. It, you know, if it anything, it was a C plus. Um, in terms of the, what our listeners thought, just to kind of wrap things up, 17% came in with an A, 41% B, 39% C, and 3% D to F. So Chris, I kind of split the difference right there as well. The A's give us the balance between the B and the C. So I I'm going to go with B minus in terms of the average from the listeners. You agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think so too. It's just like there is there's is too much going on in AEW right now. And it's it it affected the pay-per-view. You had matches on go home shows that had nothing to do with the show. You've got 13 matches on this card. There's just like you're you're continuing to debut more and more people. Like you got to pick your you know your your boats and and lean on them. Like, I don't know what the hell analogy to use. It's late, like. but like you got to pick your handful of things that are the most important things, and really get into that. It's it's been a bit of a mess. AW the last handful of weeks, we've got a new world champion. Things might change a bit going forward. We got Forbidden Door coming up pretty soon. That's going to make things probably even more messier. Yeah, I don't know, but like as you go post playoffs here, it just it it needs to narrow its focus a little bit. I think it can't be everything all the time because there are some really good things going on that are getting overshadowed by a lot of other things that are not good that are taking up time.
0: Yeah. The the, the booking since revolution has been a total mess. Uh, really the WWE booking since WrestleMania has been very messy, especially mm-hmm. since WrestleMania backlash the last four weeks on the build to hell in a cell. It's been atrocious. So yeah, both companies are actually struggling mightily. With AEW, it feels like like you are kind of alluding to, it feels like they're trying to throw so much onto this plate, the Ring of Honor stuff, incorporating all of that, doing the Owen tournament, trying to get every star that's active onto a pay-per-view card when they don't need to be. Because even though you only do four shows a year, you added the Forbidden Door one. So, okay, keep Danielson and Moxley off of this show because they're going to be on Forbidden Door. So you don't have to have them on this one. I have no idea what Forbidden Door is going to look like. I assume we're going to get New Japan Talent uh, Wednesday on Dynamite because it's in LA and it's an easy trip for them to make. So we're probably going to have some surprises on that show. But like, it just feels like Tony Khan is piling all this stuff onto his plate. And granted, a lot of it is now over coming out of this, particularly the Owen tournament. Um, But man, they got to get back to basics. And I'll tell you something, building this roster and adding more people after more people, it is not helping them. They are getting into, it's funny, they're, they're overloading their roster the same way WWE overloaded its roster a few years ago. The difference is WWE had all of this talent it wasn't using, and granted, AEW is not using some of its talent too, but AEW is actively trying to use all of its talent or, or the majority of its talent and failing because there's only so many hours in a given week. So there really is a happy medium. It's what WWE didn't do because it only focused on certain people. And it's what AEW yeah. is not doing because they're trying to put too many people in too many storylines. What happens when Miro comes back? What happens when Andrade and Roosh, you know, and Roosh debuts and Andrade comes back? how are they going to fit all these people into the show? They can't do it. And it's becoming a massive, massive mess. Maybe when Ring of Honor starts doing TV again, they'll be able to throw some people over there. That'll loosen things up. I don't know. But AEW, from a booking standpoint, they got to get their shit together. Um, And this show was the culmination of a three-month period where they really, really struggled to cohesively book storylines leading into one of their tentpole pay-per-views of the year. Very, very big disappointment.
1: Again, on the go home dynamite, they had a New Japan invasion interference of a <laughs> Ring of Honor tag team match yep. on the AEW pay per view go home. Like that was a sign of like, just like, dude, like chill out yep. and look. the 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 Fulham FC season is over as well recently. So yeah, maybe the NFL Tony season's about time to start now. Them. That's that's true, but he's not as he's not the Fulham one. I don't I don't know how I don't know how he divides his time, but like it's it's an issue of just like too much going on. And look, I'm not watching this pay-per-view. I'm sorry. I'm not watching this post show press conference, but everybody is commenting that like Tony's energy is like out of control right now. And everybody's very confused at how he's acting. So I I don't know. But like you got to like focus this in a little bit and um as a but they're probably not going to because forbidden door is next we're probably going to get a lot of new japan stuff coming over so i i don't know what's next i just feel like this this like like the person said this is like a three hour three and a half hour pay-per-view you take out all the crap that you that we knew was not going to be worth it this is probably a very 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 good show and it just wasn't
0: yeah it just wasn't and i cannot believe we did a two hour instant analysis on this i am absolutely exhausted it was a I 13 match show. card of course it was i know but i'm so tired i just want to go to sleep we're ending the show i'm cutting it off look thank you all for listening to the getting over podcast instant analysis of aew double or nothing thank you to vintage chris vanini for joining me here's what's coming up folks on tuesday we will be back with wwe hell in a cell ultimate preview will wrap up smackdown And the Go Home Raw will preview Hell in a Cell. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about the fallout from Double or Nothing with AEW Dynamite, along with a NXT In Your House Ultimate Preview on Saturday. Next week, we're going to have a NXT In Your House uh, pre-show live on Twitter Spaces. We'll also have an Instant Analysis podcast of In Your House after that ends on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we will do the same thing. WWE Hell in a Cell. Pre-show on Twitter Spaces live for free, as well as WWE Hell in a Cell instant analysis as soon as that pay-per-view goes off the air. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. All about so head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love the show. Tell them why you appreciate. These Instant Analysis Podcasts. I am exhausted. It is almost 3 a.m. Eastern. Double or nothing was way too long. This podcast was way too long. So, for Vintage need, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, exhausted with back pain, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.